Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us here at the Sonoma Avenue Church of Christ. We have been studying the Holy Spirit, what Jesus taught about the Spirit, what Paul taught about the Spirit, and about spiritual gifting for the last several months. And here are some of the things that we have covered just in this series about spiritual gifts. We've discovered that having God on our side always makes a difference because God empowers his people to do great things. He intends for the Holy Spirit to be the tool of empowerment in the lives of his people. And I believe that everyone who is in Christ is dynamically gifted by the Spirit to make a difference in this world. Secondly, spiritual gifts are not about us. Instead, they are all about God and our dependence upon him. The Spirit gives different gifts to different people on purpose. He determines what he wants you to have so the purposes of God can be accomplished in whatever situation you are in and to build up the body of Christ. Therefore, spiritual gifts are not about us having the greatest gifts. Instead, they are about us opening ourselves up to the work of God in our lives, whatever that might be. Thirdly, spiritual gifts are more than just our talents. Now, undeniably, we are given our talents from God, but we cannot limit ourselves by only doing the things that we know we can already do. God might want us to do something different, something that we are uncomfortable with, or even something that we feel unprepared to do. God is capable of more than we could ever ask or imagine, and this God can fill you with his power so that you can do more than you believe is possible with your life. Uh, lastly, we, we cannot wait for our gifts to appear and then go out and make a difference in the world. Instead, we have a relationship with God. We draw close to him. Our lives are centered around him. We love him with all of our hearts and we go out to be Jesus in the world. And it is then that God pours out his gifting on us so that we can accomplish what he wants for us to accomplish. Now we're going to shift gears a little bit here this morning. Uh, and we're going to talk about some of the more controversial spiritual gifts. Uh, these are the ones that we probably most often think of when we hear the term spiritual gift. And they have created a lot of debate over the years. Uh, they are the gifts of tongues, prophecy, and healing. And as fate would have it, we are talking about these gifts on the day of Pentecost. So there you go. Now, let me start with a disclaimer before we jump into what these gifts are all about and what they might look like. There are many people that I respect whom are much smarter than I am who will argue that these kinds of spiritual gifts are no longer in existence and they will have well-reasoned arguments to say that. Well, through my own study and the conversations that I've had, even with some of those people, this is what I am comfortable with saying this morning. I have not experienced the gifts of tongues, healing, and prophecy. These experiences have these experiences have really not happened to me, but I, I do not believe that that means it cannot happen. 
I'm not going to tell you this morning that God cannot, will not use these gifts in other people's lives. You don't have to agree with me on this. If you would like to have further conversations with me about these gifts in particular, I welcome the opportunity uh, for us to sit down and share with one another. But there's a reason why I've steered clear of these three gifts in particular. I don't want us to be distracted by a conversation about who is right and who is wrong when it comes to this subject. As we stated really early on, for those of you who have been with us, I think the discussion about the Holy Spirit can be derailed when we start talking about these more charismatic gifts and whether you can have them or not. We get so caught up in what people can or cannot do that we are in very great danger of missing the point. So I challenge you this morning, as we have all along, to separate yourself from what in our movement has been maybe some negative stereotypes associated with these gifts. Whether it be uh, your view with someone who is more charismatic or Pentecostal, or even the idea of a TV evangelist telling you to put your hand on the TV screen. Put those ideas and thoughts away, and let's take a look at what Paul tells us about these spiritual gifts in particular. Because one thing has been clear to me throughout my study on the Holy Spirit and on spiritual gifts. The New Testament writers accepted spiritual gifts as a reality and a big part of the Christian life. And their concern was not necessarily with what gift you could have. It was more so with the people they were writing to understanding what the gifts were for and therefore being empowered to use them the right way. So, to that point, we're going to read a long section of scripture to start out here this morning. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now, I want to remind you, for those of you who are aware, and maybe some of you don't know, that the church in Corinth was a pretty messed up place. They had a whole lot of things going on. And one of their problems in particular was spiritual gifting. They had spiritual gifts, but their assembly and their time of worship together had become chaotic because everyone was trying to insist that their spiritual gift was the one that needed to be heard or seen. And so Paul does a great deal of writing to them about spiritual gifts because it was a reality that that church was dealing with. So we're going to read uh, 1 Corinthians 14 verses 1 through 25 to start out here. It's a long reading, and then we're going to come back to certain parts of it as we go. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, 
What good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this, re for this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else, who is now put in the position of an inquirer, say amen to your thanksgiving since they don't know what you are saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law, it is written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even they, then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquires or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Okay, so to be fair here, Paul kind of goes on a rant about spiritual gifts and how they're being misused within that community. And in particular, he talks about tongues and prophecy. This very long passage helps us to understand a key point in how Paul understood not just the usage, but also the purpose of not just these spiritual gifts, but spiritual gifts as a whole. And here is what Paul believed. God gives spiritual gifts that are meant to benefit the community as a whole. For another example of this, we can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, 
to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Now, I know that we've covered this passage a few times during this series, but a crucial question for Paul, again, was, how do the gifts that you have benefit the community? He did not see spiritual gifts as being these things to benefit an individual and make that individual stronger. Instead, he viewed gifts within the community to be given for two reasons. Number one, to strengthen the body, and number two, to deliver the gospel out into the world may complete the body of Christ and do the will of God in the world. So within this framework, let's jump into these more controversial spiritual gifts. So let's start with speaking in tongues. Now, the ability to speak in tongues, to speak other languages, was a significant gift within the early community of Christ. And as we already saw in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul said that he, would, he desires for everyone to speak in tongues and that he himself speaks in tongues. Uh, it was one of the first signs that came on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The Holy Spirit came in power on everyone, tongues of fire appeared, over their heads, and they all began to speak in different languages. Peter preached to the crowd and told them to repent and be baptized, and they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The early church understood the dynamic appearance of the Holy Spirit to be a sign that what was happening to them was from God. And of course, there were others there who thought they were just drunk. Uh, but this, this sort of, uh, the seal of God, uh, through the speaking of tongues is no more apparent than in the conversation with the Gentile Cornelius. This takes place in Acts chapter 10, and if you remember the story, Peter was on the roof and, and the, the sheet fell from heaven with all the food on it, and he argues with God about what is clean and what is not clean. In the meantime, Cornelius and his family have been praying to God and studying and learning who God is. So God sends Peter to go and meet with Cornelius. But Cornelius is a Gentile, and Gentiles were not yet invited into the Christian community. So Paul's not really sure what's going on, but he's going along with it because of how this whole day has gone, and it seems that this is the way that, that God wants him to go. So he goes into Cornelius' house, and before he can decide what he wants to do with them, the Holy Spirit came on Cornelius and his family before they were baptized, and they begin to speak in tongues. And Peter saw this as a sign that God was already with them. And so he decides, well, if God has accepted you, I'm going to accept you too. And he baptized them into Jesus. So Paul, in his writings, seems to understand that the gift of tongues, in particular, played an important role within the kingdom of God. He says in, in uh, chapter 14, verse 22, Tongues, then, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. And the point that he is trying to get to there is this. Tongues may be beneficial to you as an individual when you are at home speaking with God. But within the community, 
Tongues are more for showing people that God is with you for people outside of the church who are trying to figure out, well, is this from God? Is this not from God? So tongues show that God is with you. They help to draw people to God. Now, it would be easy for us at this point to dismiss speaking in tongues as sort of an attention-getting, um, not-so-useful spiritual gift, but look, Paul didn't see it this way. He had a very just important question, though, he wanted to ask about tongues, again, particularly within the community, and that is this. How does this gift benefit the body of Christ? How is it going to help you in the community that you're living in? So he says in 14 chapter 12, I'm sorry, in 14 verse 12, so it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. So see, Paul knew that they all wanted spiritual gifts, and in this dysfunctional community, a lot of them wanted the, the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. So Paul has said, I would love for you to have tongues. I speak in tongues. But he says, if you are eager for spiritual gifts, try to get the ones that are going to help build up the church, and not just the one that you think is the coolest. And he wanted to make sure that this most mysterious of gifts was oriented in the right direction. So he put it very simply, if God is speaking through you, then what he is saying has to be able to be shared with the community. So you need to pray that you or someone there can interpret what it is that is being said. If it cannot be interpreted, it has no value to the community at that time, and therefore it needs to stay between you and God. And it's worth noting for us that spiritual gifts was, I'm sorry, that speaking in tongues was not just some throw-in gift because there is an entire separate gift of interpretation, which means that God did want people to speak in tongues, but he also wanted people to be able to interpret what those speaking in tongues were saying. Paul did not tell them to abandon tongues. He did not tell them they shouldn't ask to speak in tongues but he wanted them to understand what the gift was for and how it should be used. And the basic thing is that if God is speaking to you, that is wonderful. But if you can't share it with the community, then you need to keep it between you and God at home. Makes a lot of sense to me. Now, let's move on to prophecy because Paul directly kind of compares and contrasts these two gifts within the passage. So, in direct contrast to the gift of tongues, is the gift of prophecy. Paul sees prophecy as being essential to the life and growth of the church. Now, we have a little bit of a hard time here because what do you think a prophet really does? Um, if we were to just throw answers out there, we probably have some sort of thought that uh, a prophet can tell the future. Uh, that there's some sort of fortune teller or something like that. But when you look at the prophets of the Old Testament, you see that there wasn't actually a whole lot of them telling the future. I mean, it was there at certain points. Um, their job was not so much to see the future as it was to be a voice for God in the here and now. So prophets would receive a word from the Lord that was usually a warning to the people that they were to go to speak to. And if 
the, the warnings often went like this. Uh, this is how bad things are. If they continue like this, then you are going to be in trouble. Thus, prophets, unfortunately, were some of the most unpopular people of their day because they were always confronting others about the sin in their lives, calling them away from a relationship with this world and back into a relationship with God, which often included repenting and turning their lives around. So Paul recognized that this gift was essential in the life of Israel and continued to be essential in the life of the church. Specifically, he appreciated that prophecy could give you supernatural insight into the lives of those around you so that you could speak truth to them. Let's look back at 1 Corinthians 14, verses 22 through 25. Tongues, then, are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Now we get some really important insight here into what Paul thinks everything is all about. Remember, what are spiritual gifts about? They are about building up the body of Christ, and they are about taking the gospel out into the world. And so prophecy is so important to him because it is the God-given ability to speak the truth of God into other people's lives. Um, just to give an example, you could think about like Jesus with the woman at the well. He was able to have insight into her life so that he could speak to her the words that she needed to hear. Now, if we think about it in these terms, it's no wonder that Paul valued this gift as being so important to the body and why he would tell them to desire prophecy, that everyone prophesying, prophesying would be a good thing. Again, the, the church in Corinth was a church that was in trouble. Uh, they were doing all kinds of wrong and no one was doing anything about it. So one of their biggest problems, as Paul saw it, was that there was not a prophet within their community and therefore the body was not being made into the body of Christ. A prophet would have corrected the problems that were there and kept the body on the right track. The prophet wouldn't let sin go unchecked, but would call everyone to a higher standard of living. Now, to be clear, this was to be done in love. I mean, after all, the whole previous chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, is about love. But Paul knew the value of having a voice of truth within the body of Christ. What a great and necessary gift this is. Because in a world where we increasingly are being told that we can't tell anyone what to do, we can't convict one another without being judgmental, we are reminded that God gifted people specifically to do this job, to call others out of their sin and restore them back to God. And I have to believe that this is still a very important and even necessary gift within the body of Christ. Now let's move on to the last gift we're going to talk about this morning, and that is the gift of healing. 
Now, to start this discussion here, I want to ask this question. Is there a difference between the spirit, the spirit given power to heal and what we tend to practice when it comes to praying for God to heal someone else? Now, I'm going to say, yes, that there is a difference, but it might not be as far apart as we think it is. Uh, since healing is listed as a particular spiritual gift, we have to believe that some people were particularly gifted as healers within these early communities of Christ. Uh, let's take a look at Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 42 to give us an example of this. As Peter traveled around the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please, come at once. Peter went with him, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the, windows stood, all the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. She took her by the hand, he took her by the hand, and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Now, some things for us to notice just kind of right off the bat. Uh, it was disciples that sent for Peter to come and to raise her, Tabitha, from the dead. Uh, not everyone then had the power to heal, even if they had prayed for it. But we have two different healings, and they seem to be done in two different ways. In the first, Peter seems to approach Aeneas and simply heal him. He gave him a command, Aeneas responded, and he got up. In the second healing, Peter gets there, he's taken up to Tabitha's body, and he gets down on his knees and prays. And then he gets up and tells Tabitha, told Tabitha to stand up. So are these two healings different, and what do they tell us about the gift of healing? Well, here's what I think is important. Though in one story it is mentioned that Peter prayed, and in the other he didn't, it's very clear by whose power Peter is healing both of these people. He was not accessing his own power. He was accessing the power of God. He healed uh, Aeneas under the name of the power of Jesus Christ. And so whether he had the gift of healing or not, it was not Peter who actually healed anyone. It was Peter tapping into the power of God. So it was God who healed. And God, in both cases, answered Peter's request for healing. So what we see here is that there is a direct tie between drawing the power of God into the moment and seeing healing happen.
Now, let's shift gears just a little bit and talk about what healing prayer is. Do we believe in the power of healing prayer? I'm going to go out on a limb a little bit and say the answer is yes, but we have also prayed for people to be healed from things and it has not happened. It occurs to me that in both situations, Peter totally believed that God could and would heal those people. Uh, James chapter 5 verses 13 through 16 says this to us about prayer. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now look, there are a lot of different questions and issues that we can talk to about around this idea of healing prayer. And we don't have time to talk about it all today. We have a lunch to get to. <laughs> but we can come back to it another time. But here's something that I want to, some things I want to point out about this anyway. This idea about calling God in to heal other people is a complex issue. And I know, because I have been in this situation before, that I have prayed for people believing that God would heal them, and he did. I have prayed for people believing that God would heal them, and they weren't healed. I have prayed for people not really believing they would be healed and to have had both results as well. Healing should be understood to be a part of our Christian experience because we are told that we can access the power of God and bring that power into each other's lives in a healing way. Forget that idea of putting your hand on the TV screen and all of that stuff, but it's clear that James expected that as children of God, we would intervene in one another's lives. We would, in cases of illness and sin, we would draw God into those situations and that by drawing the power of God into those places, some, some change would be affected on those people. So, is there a gift of healing? Yes, I believe there is, and if we believe this passage from James, we, I think we have to say that we believe others can be healed. But it's not because someone has the power. It's because God has the power, and someone is calling God into that place and time and situation. Now, how do we sum this up? How should we view these gifts that at times seem so outside of our experience? Well, God has given us spiritual gifts, and he expects us to use them in two ways, within the body and to take the gospel out into the world. And God has given us these gifts to use within the body because they are necessary. He expects us to challenge each other. He expects us to encourage one, encourage one another, 
and he expects us to hold one another up. But the end goal is always the same, that the body of Christ will be built up and the kingdom will be established and expanded. So I, for one, hope that God is still equipping us for those things because these gifts may be necessary to help us be successful in building up the body and taking the gospel out into the world. Because moreover, I don't want us to be a community of people who are doing their best and using their own power to go out into the world and to try to change people's lives. We need the power of God to be with us when we go out so that lives will change, not because of how great we might have said something or done something, but because they experience the power of God in our life and they want to have that same power in their own life. I want us to be a group that is empowered by the God that we love and that through his power we will grow, as Paul has said in other passages, to be Jesus in this place. And we need his help, don't we? To be the body of Christ in this place? I believe we do. And so, as Paul has told the Corinthians, we need to pray for spiritual gifts. We need to pray that the Holy Spirit would empower us to do things within the body of Christ and out in the world. But then, we need to open ourselves up to what it is that God might be gifting us to do. And as we talked about last week, we need to step out in faith and go and do because we know what God's mission is in this place. And I trust that as we go and we do and we work to take the gospel out to the world, that God will give us what we need. So we cannot be afraid of what gift God might give us or even ask for a specific gift. We need to trust God and the Holy Spirit to give us the gifts that we need as we find ourselves in different situations. Because we see throughout the book of Acts that different people had different gifts at different times, but the gifts always fit, fit, I'm sorry, fit the need of the situation that they were in. And again, it was God who did that. It wasn't the people themselves. I pray for God's Spirit to empower us. I pray for God's Spirit to give us what we need to build up the body of Christ and to take the gospel out into the world. And I pray that through His empowering, those that we come into contact with will be changed. Thank you for being here with us today. May God bless you through this week, and we'll see you soon.